All right, good morning, Gresham Bible Church. Great to see everybody today as we're moving towards the end of summer. Students, how you doing? How you feeling? Enjoy these next few days. Um, All right, today we're going to continue through our series in our church's distinctives. And this week we're going to reflect on our fifth distinctive, which says, justice and mercy matter. Here's what we mean by that. We seek to display God's heart for justice by pursuing gospel reconciliation across racial, economic, generational, and political divides, and by being a blessing to the least of these in our community, the immigrant, trafficked, poor, abused, overlooked, addicted, widowed, and especially to the unborn and the orphan. When you see that slide behind me, when you hear me read that aloud, I wonder how that strikes your ear. So with our focus today, I want to challenge us and lovingly encourage us to be self-aware of what lenses you're wearing when you see that, when you hear that. Just like if you're wearing a pair of awesome cheap sunglasses that are tinted green, everything around you is going to look green, even if it's not. When we hear the words justice and mercy matter, if we're being really honest, the lenses that you're tempted to wear, maybe even subconsciously, are a political set of lenses. You are going to hear those words in a political kind of way. And I want to lovingly challenge you to take off those pair of awesome green tinted sunglasses this morning and see what we're going to talk about from God's perspective. Or to put it another way, don't be me as a husband to Carrie before I go to the grocery store. Carrie will clearly and graciously tell me, hey, here's what we need on the list and why, and it's probably on the third shelf down over to your right, and I just tune out. And I think I know what she's going to say rather than what she actually says. Some of you husbands are like, yep, yep, right? Don't be me today. When you hear from God's word today talking about justice and mercy matter, don't be the spouse who checks out and thinks you know what they're going to say rather than what they actually say, okay? So that's the posture I'm asking us to come to today. And then to help us, just like we've done every week in our series through our church's distinctives. These distinctives, we're Gresham Bible Church. These distinctives are grounded in God's word. They capture the essence of what God's word is saying. So to help make sure we continue down that path, we're gonna focus today in Micah chapter six, verse eight. So make your way to the minor prophets in the Bible Quick Bible sword drill, Micah chapter six, verse eight. And as you make your way there, kids in the service, again, we're really glad you're with us during the month of August when children's ministry volunteers get a break. I want to challenge you today, kids, listen up. I want you by the end of the sermon to be able to tell a friend or your parents on the way after church today, why do justice and mercy matter? You should be able, kids, to answer that question from what we're going to talk about. Why do justice and mercy matter? And if you can tell your parents why justice and mercy matter, parents, maybe you, out of dear love for your children and being good listeners, could treat them to ice cream. (laughs) Sound like a fair arrangement, everybody? Okay. All right. So here's where we're going to go. Micah 
chapter 6, verse 8. Let's dive in. This is God's word. Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Let's pray together now and submit our time to the Lord. Father, we need you today. I do especially. I pray that you will comfort where comfort is needed, bring conviction where conviction is needed, tune our hearts to you, and lift our gaze to Jesus. Open your word to us this morning and open us to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to see three points of emphasis in our time together this morning. First is the priority of justice and mercy. Second, problems with justice and mercy. And then third, the power and the path for justice and mercy. So first, the priority of justice and mercy. So in order to have us really feel the weight and really get of a really famous, well-known verse, Micah 6, 8, we need to make sure we see it clearly against the backdrop of the book of Micah. So some of you maybe already know this, but again, Micah is one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. Micah, this prophet, was a contemporary with Isaiah and Hosea and Amos, right? The book of Micah announces God's judgment against Israel and calls God's covenant people to repent. In Micah, you'll see that God's people, maybe on the surface, they were doing all the right things, but they were going through the religious motions, but they were really in their heart marked by idolatry, by oppression, by corruption. And so God uses Micah to graciously confront his people and calls them to repentance. And then the book of Micah moves into chapter six. And if you just look up, Bible in front of you, look up at verse one real quick, beginning of chapter six, where God makes his point kind of through hyperbole. And he says to his people, arise, plead your case before the mountains. Like plead before the mountains that you're innocent of these charges. And then right before our verse in verse eight, verses six and seven say that God will not be pleased even if, even if, They sacrificed thousands of rams with 10,000 rivers of oil. That is the predicament that God's people are in as we come to Micah 6, 8. So it is a verse against the backdrop of judgment against God's people. That's the context, the indictment of God's people for losing sight of the essence of what it means to follow him. So again, look down now, put your finger on verse eight. This is a verse that's a summary of how God wants his people to live. And you have to ask yourself, what does it actually mean to walk humbly with God, to do justice and to love kindness? What does that mean? It's not a Hallmark card. What does that mean in God's word? When you read kindness here, that can also be read as mercy or steadfast love. So verse eight, here's how it works. It works like this. Mercy is the motivation or the heart and justice is the kind of life you're supposed to live. 
Mercy's the heart, it's the engine, it powers a life of doing justice. That's how Micah verse six, chapter six, verse eight works. One commentator put it like this, to walk humbly with God is to know him intimately and to be attentive to what he desires and loves. So what is that? What does God desire and love? It's to do justice and to love mercy. To walk with God then means that we must do justice out of merciful love. To conclude otherwise is reading into this verse. If we read it as how it's intended to the original audience and then how it lands on us today, that is what we have to conclude. So in order to really get what Micah 6.8 is saying, we need to understand what justice is biblically. And if you're being really honest right now, some of you are probably getting a little nervous. We're going to talk about justice? We are, in according to how God's word talks about justice. So here in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, the word translated as, translated as justice is the Hebrew word mishpat. And Josh can correct me later if I'm mispronouncing that, okay? That's the Hebrew word for the word justice in front of you in your English Bible. This word or idea in its various forms occurs more than 200 times in the Old Testament. So if it's in the Bible that many times, that means it's probably a pretty important theme. Wouldn't you agree with me? Over 200 times in the Old Testament. So what does it mean to do justice? What does this word or idea, this truth mean? It means, when you boil it all down, it means to give people their due. To do justice means giving someone their due. And it's giving people their due in two different kind of ways. First, it means to give people their due in a way that's corrective or punitive. The first part of doing justice can be understood in a negative kind of way. It means that when people do wrong, that we stop them and that they're rightly punished for their wrongdoing right? Like an officer of the law. Think justice in that kind of way. It means acquitting every person on the merits of their case, regardless of their social status or their ethnicity. That's the first sense of justice. A verse that illustrates this, you can look at this later, is Leviticus chapter 24, verse 22, which says this, you shall have the same rule for the sojourner and for the native, for I am the Lord your God. So this essence of justice is equitable justice to the wrongdoer that's punitive or corrective. That's this side of justice, this word that's right here in Micah 6, 8. And that's the first way. And the second way, different side of the same coin. It also means restorative type of justice. It means to give the weak and the vulnerable and the oppressed their due. Again, it's a restorative type of justice. This mishpat word or idea, this truth, means giving people what they're due, whether what they're due is punishment or protection or care. That's what this doing justice is when we let God's word speak to us and not read in our sense of justice from our cultural moment into God's word. 
So regarding this positive side of justice, like do this this week, do a word study on it, look in your concordance and just look at it and look how many times when it's this word for justice, when it's used, how it links to and calls out and highlights four particular type of people groups. And the four are the widow, the orphan, the alien or the immigrant, and the poor. Over and over and over again, that's the theme in God's word. One author calls these four the quartet of the vulnerable. The widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. So two verses, just to show you this real quick. Do your own homework on this. Two verses that highlight this dynamic of positive justice for the vulnerable. Proverbs chapter 31, verses 8 and 9. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Or Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 3, which says, Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. Those are two, only two verses that illustrate a theme that you will see throughout the Old Testament. So one part of doing justice is punishing the wrongdoer because there's such a thing as personal responsibility and real choices have real consequences, but don't stop there. And the other side, the positive side of justice is restorative. It's lifting up the oppressed and the vulnerable, okay? That's justice as understood in a biblical kind of way. So why were God's people, you can even like nod your head at that. Okay, but think about it like this. Why were God's people charged to create a culture of justice and mercy, especially for the poor and the vulnerable? Deuteronomy chapter four, we're gonna be in Deuteronomy in the fall and it's gonna be awesome, but it's real quick. Deuteronomy chapter four, verses six and eight says that Israel was to keep God's commandments such as these that we've just looked at because it was the way that that nation could reveal God's glory and character to the world around them. So think about it. In ancient times, all the other gods around God's people, the nation of Israel, their gods were not anything like this. Their gods oppressed the poor. Their gods were only for the kings and the powerful and the rich. But when these nations heard of, whoa, the God of Israel, these are his laws and this is the justice and the mercy we see lived out in that community, that was immensely attractive. The God of scripture is on the side of the powerless and his justice is for the vulnerable. And this relational justice and mercy worked to highlight God's glory and mercy to the nations around them. That's how it worked and how it displayed who God is in the Old Testament. All right, we're doing like a super like cram course here. Let's go a level deeper than that, okay? A layer deeper. Why were God's people to care about justice and mercy, specifically as it related to the most vulnerable in their society? What's the why? Not just the outcome of how it 
honored the Lord and was attractive to non-believers around them. But what's underneath that? What's the why? And the why is because God himself is just and merciful. Over and over again, God describes himself as a God who cares for the weak and the vulnerable. That's what kind of God he is. It's like his tagline. Does anybody use LinkedIn anymore? I don't know. If you're on LinkedIn, you have this cool little tagline. That's God's tagline on LinkedIn. He's the God who's for the weak and the vulnerable. It's like his business card. That's how he introduces himself. I am God, the God for the fatherless and the weak and the vulnerable. It's the heart of who he is. Listen to Psalm 68, verse 5. How is God described? Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. That's how God introduces himself. There's no way around it. The Bible makes it crystal clear that justice and mercy matter. Why do they matter? Because they matter to God, because that's who he is in his essence. That's his heart. So if justice and mercy matter to this degree, let's be honest, why doesn't it feel like that in the world we inhabit? Last week, this next week in front of you, I bet there'll be a disconnect. You won't experience the world in this kind of way. You won't even contribute this kind of justice and mercy to the world in the way in which God calls us to do. So why is that? That brings us to our second point today, problems with justice and mercy. We're going to talk about four problems. These are not exhaustive, but hear my heart. 1 Peter 5.2 is written to elders and it says to shepherd the flock among you. So I, as one of your elders, as one of your under shepherds, is coming to you to shepherd the flock among us by calling out four different problems with justice and mercy in reflecting on this distinctive about why justice and mercy matter. So I'm just going to say it. The first problem is politics. And I don't mean it like the problem is like in and of itself, the governance of people and city and nation states. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying politics in our time and place is a problem and how it actually plays out in our culture and time and place, in the tribalism and how it's fracturing people and how it hurts people, how you start to see those you disagree with politically as the other and you start to write them off and the story you're always telling yourself is that you're the virtuous one and your political position is the virtuous one and everyone else is evil. Play that out. That's been played out in history already and it never ends well. That is a problem when we talk about justice and mercy. It's a problem because it's the air we breathe in our context, so we have to be aware of it and on guard against it. So when I say politics is a problem for talking about, for thinking about justice and mercy in a Christian kind of way, I mean that the Bible's truth about justice doesn't neatly map onto a political position or a political party. It just doesn't. There's, there's no way around it. It doesn't. And if you think it does, I'd encourage you to ask yourself what you've been abiding in. 
probably something else more than God's word because it does not neatly map onto a political party or position. No matter what country you're in or time or place, this side of glory, it never will. So politics is a problem when it begins to define the terms more than God's word does. Politics is a problem when our views about justice are more in line with a particular party or a candidate, more they're in line with what thus saith the Lord is, okay? When we say as a church that justice and mercy matter, when we as Gresham Bible Church say that, that's not us making a political statement. That's not us virtue signaling. That's us saying, God talks about it, so let's talk about it in the kind of way that God does. Amen? Amen. All right. Second problem. I sound so negative today. Another problem is the mix about a church in our time and place and like the history that's just come before us in the last like 100 or 150 years. And what I mean by that is the problem of the social gospel. You could say, Mike, let's not talk about this. We've seen this movie before. We know how it plays out. And I resonate with that. So the social gospel, like for those of you that aren't history nerds, it basically means like in the early 20th century, maybe even out of positive intent, a lot of Christians and a lot of churches and even some denominations started to get it twisted. And they said the gospel was serving those in our community that need it, serving the poor and the vulnerable, all good stuff. We just talked about that, right? But that doesn't lead the cart. The social gospel is a distortion of the actual gospel itself. Living lives of justice and mercy is an implication of the gospel. It is not the gospel once for all time delivered. So I get when you hear a church like GBC saying, well, we're talking about justice and mercy. I get a problem as the social gospel. But that should not sideline pressing into talking about justice and mercy because God's word talks about justice and mercy. Okay, so we let God's word as a church set the agenda for us. All right, those only two or four problems. Here's one more problem. If you're here today and you haven't trusted in Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, we are really, really glad you're here. And I mean that from like the bottom of my heart. I'm so glad you're here. This is the best place in the life of the local church to investigate is Jesus really is who these Christians say that he is. And what I want to lovingly challenge you with today is you non-Christian of all people have the biggest problem you have to deal with. And that's the problem of, I bet like if you're here and you're not a Christian, I bet you'd even like shake your head like, yeah, I care about justice. Like I care about human rights and the poor and the vulnerable. And like, I'm really glad you do, right? That makes you a good neighbor and I'm thankful for that. But you have a problem if you're thinking honestly about it. What is the foundation for you saying there's such a thing as justice? How can you say there's such a foundation for yourself? And how can you say other people ought to care about it in the same way you do? Or believe justice means the same thing that you think it does? And if you're being honest, you can't. You can't. You have to have a truth outside of yourself to say there's such a thing as justice universally for every people group in every time and place, or otherwise, you're just playing power politics against people, and you're putting your preferences and opinions against others. 
So if you're a non-Christian and you're here, I'm saying this in love, like I promise I'm not trying to pick on you, but I would ask you to like honestly reflect. You have a problem with justice. If the only reason you have the foundation for your justice is just you as a secular person, if there's not a truth, big T outside of yourself, your, your justice is a house of cards. All right, those are three problems and those are three pretty big problems but I want to highlight for us the biggest problem with justice and mercy. The biggest problem is that none of us fully do justice, fully love mercy, and fully walk humbly with our God, do we? Has that been the story of your life this last week, this last year? I bet not. God says in Micah 6.8, this is what the Lord requires of you. And that it's good, he says, but we don't. There's a gap between those, isn't there? And that is a real and significant problem. This means that if God is a God of justice, and he is, we have his word on it, then this wrong of us actually not being this and doing this can't go unpunished, can't it? Or God's not just. The greatest injustice is our indifference to the God of justice, of ignoring God, of living like we don't need him, of looking to other things for our righteousness. And that injustice has a cost. It has a price that has to be paid. So how can I, how can you worship of God of justice when I actually know I deserve his justice, like in a right kind of way. I deserve his justice. How can I actually trust this God of justice? So in order to really do justice, like I hope you can see, we have a significant problem, a problem that has to be resolved if you are gonna be in your heart of hearts the kind of person that Micah 6.8 calls us to be. And that brings us to our third and final point, the power and the path for justice and mercy. So how is the problem of our injustice toward a just God resolved? By seeing that Micah 6, 8, who it points us to, right? Because Micah 6, 8 points us to Jesus. I mean, just think about it. Because Jesus is the only one who perfectly embodies Micah 6, 8. Jesus is the only one who perfectly does justice, who perfectly loves and embodies mercy, and who perfectly walked humbly. Only Jesus. And how can I say that? We could talk about this for a long time. If you want to meet up for coffee or hang out and talk about this more, I'd love it. But I want to try to prove this to you by using Jesus's own word and argument to prove this to you, okay? So here's what I mean and how I can say that. Because of what Jesus said himself and what he didn't say himself in his first sermon. If you have a Bible in front of you, flip over to Luke chapter four, go down to verses 16 through 20. Here's what it says. Here's the scene. And he, Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. I just picture this scene with me. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to Jesus. 
He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. What a moment. What a scene. So in Luke 4, Jesus reads from Isaiah, what's now Isaiah chapter 61, which is a passage that's all about God's justice. And he reads Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2, where we see what we've already been talking about, the two sides of God's justice, punishment for the evildoers and salvation for the oppressed. So Jesus, again, picture it with me. Jesus stands up, unfolds the scroll, and he reads from Isaiah 61. And by doing that, right, we get what this is saying. Jesus is identifying himself with the God of the Old Testament. And Jesus is saying he is the fulfillment of this messianic passage. Jesus is saying in like language right now, he's saying, I'm that guy. (laughs) I'm him is what Jesus is saying. And I'm here to bring good news to the poor and to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives. Thus saith the Lord from Isaiah chapter 61. So Jesus is saying here, he's here to bring God's restorative justice as the long promised Messiah. But you know what? Like if you flip now in your Bible, go to Isaiah 61. Look at verses one and two. Jesus missed the last part of verse two, and I don't think it was by accident. The last part of verse two in Isaiah chapter 61 is about God's punishing justice. All of verse two in Isaiah 61 says this, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. So why didn't Jesus read the part about God's vengeance and judgment? I think we can all agree Jesus was not an ear tickler. He was not preaching the prosperity gospel. Why did he not say the end of verse 2 about God's justice coming to punish the wrongdoers? And the reason why, and you can look at this in a lot of different like commentators and pastors that have preached this, The reason why is because Jesus didn't come to bring God's vengeance. He didn't come to bring God's judgment. Jesus came to bear the full weight of God's judgment, of his judgment against sin. Jesus came to lift up the oppressed in the ultimate sense by bearing the punishment that the wicked deserve. So remember our problem? It's only resolved in Jesus. Jesus came to resolve our greatest problem, the problem of the sin of our injustice toward a holy God. By taking the just punishment, sinners like me, like you, rightly deserve in and of yourself. And then Jesus gave us restorative justice by lifting us up and giving us his perfect righteousness instead. 
Think of the dynamics of biblical justice in play in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that's Jesus's first sermon from Isaiah 61. Jesus came to solve the problem. Like, do you see that? I'm trying to make my case from God's word. I'm not making this up. Do your homework. Jesus came to solve our greatest problem with justice and mercy. The life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest display of God's justice and mercy. Because the cross shows us that God really cares about justice to the point that he sent his own son, Jesus, to satisfy the demands of righteousness, the demands that justice demanded. And he met that price at his own great cost. That's how just God is. And then God accomplishes the ultimate restorative justice through Jesus Christ for all who trust and follow him. So at the cross, the full weight of God's punishing justice towards sin fell on Jesus instead of you. The theological word for that is propitiation. Lord, propitiate me. Send a wrath bearer in my place. Through Jesus also, the wrath was born in Jesus. And then through that sacrificial love of Christ as the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world, we're lifted up, we're restored, we're wrapped in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's how just our God is. Jesus did perfectly what we're incapable of doing, of fully doing justice and loving mercy, and he did it at great cost to himself. When you go to the end of the story in Revelation, you'll see that Jesus in his glorified body still bears the marks of being the sacrificial lamb. That's the kind of cost he paid, this kind of justice. That's who our God is. All right, this should amaze you, and if it doesn't, ah, man, you need a smelling salt for your soul, okay? It's amazing, and it impacts how we as God's people are to live on this side of the cross too. When I talk about God's justice, I was quoting a lot of verses in the Old Testament. They were looking ahead to the coming Messiah. We as God's people now, this side of the cross, if anything, are to be marked even more by doing justice and loving mercy. And again, in the Old Testament, remember, God's people were to do justice and love mercy as they're looking ahead, right, to the promised Messiah. And then that justice and that mercy glorified God to really pagan cultures that sacrificed their children. They were living for those kind of gods, but the God of Israel's like that should give them pause. And now as God's people, we look back, right, on the cross now, on the finished and perfect work of Jesus Christ. Think about the dynamics of this. We have to always be oriented in where we are in God's word. God's people in the Old Testament, Todd encouraged me with this the other week, they did not have a missionary mandate. Well, guess what, Gresham Bible Church? We do. We have a mandate to advance the gospel, Right before Jesus ascended into heaven, kids, I hope you know this, Matthew chapter 28, Jesus said to his disciples, he said this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All that I have commanded you. So part of the Great Commission, part of the church's missionary mandate, us as individual Christians, part of our mandate is to do all that Jesus commanded. And what did Jesus command? To love our neighbor as ourself, didn't he? And to care for the least of these as if we're caring for Christ himself. Part of your mandate, Christian, is to do justice and love mercy like that until Jesus returns. God is glorified and the gospel is seen as compelling when we as Christians and as the church live lives of doing justice and loving mercy. And when you really reflect on it, how can we not? In my, in your most weakest and vulnerable place of being a slave to sin, Jesus had great mercy on you by taking the punishment of God's righteous justice and then purchasing God's restorative justice for you, a sinner, the one who spites him and is indifferent toward him. And yet that's the degree to which God came to save you. God's mercy is deeper than our sin, and that has to do something inside of us, doesn't it? In view of God's great mercy, how can we not extend his mercy to the vulnerable around us? That's what God's word is calling us as his people to do. Let let me ask you a diagnostic question. Do you want to know a good test for how much you treasure the mercy of God? Ask yourself, how am I caring for the vulnerable? That's what God's word is saying. How much do you treasure my mercy, God says? It'll be on display in your life by how you care for the vulnerable. Because if you're not caring for the vulnerable, there's a gospel disconnect somewhere in your life. If you're a Christian and you're not like seeing the vulnerable people in our community, right? We're not called to ignore them. You're to see them and to move towards them. If you're not, and you're not doing justice in some sort of way for the vulnerable, there's a short circuit in your heart. Your life is out of alignment with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because a lack of doing justice for the vulnerable is a lack of loving God's mercy in your heart. It's a lack of loving God. Because the essence of God is he is a just and merciful God. So what does this mean for us as we move towards a close? It means a few things. It means that justice is a really big deal to God, and the cross is the proof. So it should be a really big deal to us. Justice and mercy matter. So because God is just and merciful, as God's people were to reflect his justice and mercy, because where God's word says this, right, there are implications for us in how we live our lives today. The gospel has gospel implications in our lives. That's the basis for why we say as Gresham Bible Church that justice and mercy matter. We're not saying it to sound trendy. We're not saying to get people to look at us or signal where we fall on some political spectrum. 
We're saying it because the God of the universe, your savior says justice and mercy matter. And it means the only power source big enough to fuel a life of like really doing justice and mercy and not just talking about it or posting about it on social media, like actually being about it. The only way you're gonna do that is if you live out of a life that's rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Only the good news of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished as your savior king is powerful enough to forgive your sin and actually make you humble and actually make you want to sacrificially care for the weak and the vulnerable around you, just like your savior. And when you think about it like this, there's a pattern throughout church history that when the gospel gets a hold of God's people's hearts, their lives display the mercy of God towards those in a society that that society typically overlook or even abuse, but it's not so to be for God's people. We're called to live in view of the eternal horizon of heaven and who our God is because we're to prize God's justice and mercy even more than our comfort and convenience. And that's true for us in America too. So here's something else all of this means. I wanna extend this encouragement to a lot of you in our church because I needed this encouragement this week. So there are, excuse me, I told myself, Lord, help me not to cry today. Ah, here we go. So um, there are many of you in this church who model what I've been talking about. And I praise God for that. It's a joy and an honor to be a member with you in this church, to be your pastor. And some of you who are living this out, you this last week are feeling really weak and vulnerable because you're actually loving the weak and the vulnerable. When you love the weak and the vulnerable, I promise you, you are going to feel weak and vulnerable. And if you're feeling at the end of yourself lately like that, because of loving the weak and the vulnerable, of doing justice and loving mercy, I want to encourage you today with who our God is that I hope we've seen from Scripture. I want to encourage you that God sees you, dear brother and sister. God loves you. He will not abandon you. He is for you and not against you, no matter how hard it is, no matter how deep it hurts to keep loving. That is who our God is. Because God is a God for the weak and the hurting and the vulnerable. Like me, like you, okay? So if this is you, God's grace is sufficient for you and his power is perfected in weakness. That is God's promise to the weak and the vulnerable. And again, I see so much evidence of God's grace in the life of our church and all of this, and to God be the glory and praise God for that. And may it continue. It's beautiful, and we should praise God for it. And we want to be faithful and excel still more because of God's great mercy towards us. So I want to lovingly challenge us as a church. For all of you who are members of GBC, Continue to be praying for the Lord to give us eyes to see the vulnerable in and around us in Gresham and give us hearts and hands to help. Not just because we know we're supposed to, 
but because we want to, as a worshipful response to our Savior King, Jesus. So there are so many needs and opportunities, like you might feel overwhelmed with Micah 6, 8, what we're talking about today, like where do I start, right? Let me give you a few like helpful pointers, and I'd love to have this conversation with you. God's word talks about one of the four specific areas of the vulnerable is the immigrant, the alien. And there are more and more in God's providence, more and more immigrants coming to live in and around us here in Gresham. The nations are coming to live in our own backyard. We got to do something with that. One way you can do that is by helping an awesome organization called Immigrant Connect that GBC has helped in the past. They help immigrants through the legal fees and process of becoming citizens here. It's a distinctly Christian organization that loves people with the love of Jesus. Immigrant Connect, it's a great way to do justice towards a specific group, the immigrant. Another great way is to consider volunteering for a pregnancy resource center. Tell me who is more weak or vulnerable than the unborn. I don't think there is. We're to do justice and love mercy. Lean into that. How can I care for the unborn? Another way, by God's grace, our church has so many families who love foster children or who have adopted children. I know there's many ears listening to me right now, but that's how I'm going to tee it up. Maybe God might call you to do justice and love mercy in this kind of way if you haven't done that yet. Or maybe he won't call you to that directly, but we're all called to care for the weak and the vulnerable, for the fatherless. So one way you can get involved in that, like get off the bench and get in the game, is to be part of our foster adoptive support teams, what we call our FAST teams. Information's on our website. Talk to Laura Haywood. Talk to me. Talk to anyone on the local outreach team. We, for those of us who have foster or adopt, we need your help. We're supposed to do justice and love mercy together in community and not just alone. So you can be a wraparound family and help those who've chosen to do justice and love mercy in this kind of way by by being on a team. That means bringing a meal, maybe helping with yard work, helping with a date night. Whatever that is, that's a real tangible way you can lean into that. And I want to say personally, Me and my family could not do what God has called us to do in the makeup of our family without you. (laughs) And that's how God's designed it. So as we close, let me encourage you to look for evidence of grace in one another's lives as it relates to Micah 6.8, as it relates to actually, truly, really doing justice and loving mercy. Encourage one another, support one another, bear one another's burdens and pray for one another. This glorifies God and helps us do lives of justice and mercy again together and not just alone. For the glory of God and the advancement of the gospel until King Jesus returns. Pray with me that we're a church who does justice and loves mercy because of the ultimate justice and mercy of our Savior King of the Lord Jesus Christ. So justice and mercy matter, and they matter because they matter to God. So would you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Father, we praise you that you are a God 
who is for the weak and the vulnerable and the oppressed and the overlooked. We praise you that you are a God of justice and mercy, that you've demonstrated it and displayed it, and it will be something we praise you for forever and ever and ever. We praise you for Jesus, the ultimate demonstration of your great justice and mercy. We confess and repent that too often we don't do justice and love mercy like you call us to. Father, renew us and revive us. Give us fresh strength and endurance and love to live lives that reflect your great love. May we be satisfied with your great mercy and live lives that adorn your gospel. Father, for any here today that don't know you yet, I pray you will open their eyes to see how good you really are, how just and merciful you are. I pray that they will turn from their sin and believe in Jesus, that they'll know the justice and mercy that only come from you. We praise you for your faithfulness to us as a church. May we do your work of justice and mercy in us and through us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.